KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, December 17th. The pandemic's toll on mental health in Latino communities. We'll have that story next, but first, let's do the headlines. Hospitals in California have filled up so fast that officials are opening mobile field facilities while scrambling to find doctors and nurses to staff them. California sent 5,000 body bags to Los Angeles and San Diego. The state has 60 refrigerated mobile trailers on standby as makeshift morgues. Locally, San Diego County health officials reported 2,867 new infections on Wednesday. That's the second highest daily case count ever recorded. 23 new deaths were reported. The county announced a new policy on Tuesday as San Diego's hospital emergency rooms fill up. The policy, known as complete diversion, means some hospitals can temporarily stop ambulances from delivering patients to their ERs. The diversion can last for up to four hours. During that time, ambulances take patients to other nearby hospitals. Diversion policies are not uncommon when hospital ERs fill up, but this is the first time San Diego County hospitals have had the ability to completely stop the flow of ambulances to their facilities. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. The San Diego Chicano Federation has seen firsthand how the fear and anxiety caused by the pandemic has impacted its communities. Nancy Maldonado is the CEO of the Chicano Federation. She spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman about the mental health impact on San Diego's Latino community. The consequences and the fear of having to choose between going to work and providing for your family and knowing that you are increasing the risk of them being exposed to a potentially deadly virus, the, the impact that that has on so many families um, across San Diego, I, I can't even imagine. And, and the families that we work with are, the majority are working families and are um, mostly essential workers. So we see that across the board and that, that fear and that concern, um, especially for their families. And when we talk about families, tell me about the children. How are they being affected? The majority of the, of the children that we serve are zero to five, and they don't have the ability to express what they're feeling and what they're seeing and the secondhand effects of the stress that their parents are feeling. So we're seeing a lot of behavioral concerns and in children acting out um, and not being t- being able to express right the, all of the all of the emotions that they are feeling, and so you know in in, in communication with our um, mental health consultant that we work with, you know she has expressed an, a 
significant increase in behavioral issues, particularly in these last couple of months, because now there's a culmination of everything just playing out. And and it's our children who are feeling it. And when you're prioritizing the needs um, to keep a roof over your head and food on the table, you know, seeking help for your mental health may seem like a luxury. Is that a common mindset in the community you serve? Yes, what we're hearing from families is, you know, their concern for rent and food and bill assistance. And oftentimes, once we start to talk to them, then we can start to talk about their concerns about themselves and their health. But that doesn't always come up at first because they are. They're so concerned about their family. And, you know, um, culturally, we we also tend to um, have a lot of respect for privacy. And we don't naturally, as a culture and, uh, you know, as Latinos, talk about private issues or concerns. And, and how does a lack of access to adequate health care exacerbate that problem? You know, without access to health care, health conditions are going to be kind of last on someone's list. Um, so if they don't have health insurance and, and don't know where to go, they're not always going to seek treatment right away, especially if they're having signs and symptoms of mental health. So not only are they harder to identify, but also they're going to be last on someone's list if they don't have health insurance. And in addition to that, we're you know, we're coming off of four years of constant attacks on our community and the message being sent to people, particularly people who are undocumented, that if they utilize government resources, that it could impact their, their citizenship status. So we have a lot of people who are afraid to get help to get to seek access to to resources. So that in mind, what role can trusted community based organizations play in in making sure people in the Latino community are able to access mental health care? I think that's the ticket, right, is that there are a lot of community-based organizations who have earned the trust of our community, and we really need to leverage those resources and being able to provide referrals to where our families can go and being a trusted place where families can call and know that their information isn't going to be shared, that they can trust in that. So one of the things that, that we have done is, is we have hired resource and referral um, a team to field those calls and to be able to make those referrals and also to follow up because that's also a key to making sure that families get access to resources. It's not enough to just provide them a number to call. Sometimes people need that second call or that follow up or, you know, if making sure that they have childcare or transportation to be able to go to an appointment. And that's as community-based organizations who understand our culture, that's the role that we can play. That was Nancy Maldonado, CEO of the Chicano Federation, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Democratic state lawmakers are renewing a push to end mandatory prison sentences for certain drug crimes. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Judges aren't always allowed to send drug offenders to rehab or probation, and State Senator Scott Weiner says they should be. California helped pioneer mass incarceration in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, despite our progressive reputation. Uh, and now it should be on California to help lead the way out of mass incarceration. His bill would allow judges to choose between jail time, probation, or other options for nonviolent drug offenders who are convicted of crimes like possessing a half ounce of heroin or selling meth. 
The measure has support from liberal leaders in the criminal justice sphere, like newly sworn in Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon. Several other states have also relaxed mandatory sentencing laws in recent years. This will be the fourth iteration of this bill in California. Previous versions stalled after Weiner says they hit procedural roadblocks. In Sacramento, I'm Nicole Nixon. And now we have an update for you on a story we first brought to you in October. A former caregiver was arrested and charged this week for allegedly sexually assaulting three elderly women at three local nursing homes. KPBS's Amitha Sharma reports. Al Cajon police arrested ex-caregiver Matthew Flukiger 18 months after he was accused of sexually assaulting a 71-year-old woman at Avocado Post-Acute Nursing Home. In that case, the San Diego County District Attorney's Office has charged Flukiger with one count of forcible lewd and lascivious conduct on an adult by a caretaker. Flukiger also faces similar charges involving two other women, one with dementia at San Diego Post-Acute and another at Parkway Hills Nursing and Rehabilitation in La Mesa, earlier this year. Amitha Sharma, KPBS News. KPBS reporters are doing a series of stories looking at how San Diegans are coping with the public health crisis we've been living through. We're calling them pandemic profiles. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong brings us this story of one UC San Diego student who's been forced to finish her last year of college from halfway around the world. 22-year-old Ariana Kubilian has spent the last nine months trying to make the most of her final year of college while living in the Philippines. Kubilian says being with her family during this crisis has its upsides. I certainly liked it more in a way because when I'm there in the States, I was just kind of alone, had to take care of myself. And of course, everything's like crazy with the pandemic, so it's kind of nice to be in something so familiar to me. But as she saw her friends and past roommates reuniting and quarantining together, she started to feel isolated. But she found comfort in journaling and writing down her frustrations about being stuck at home. She eventually learned to appreciate her time with her family. And I'm in a much better place now because I'm not constantly thinking anymore about what I should be experiencing. And I've Try, I've like managed to find a way to just be grateful that I can be home. Kubilian expects to stay in Manila at least until the spring quarter starts in March. When she returns to San Diego, she said she's hoping to salvage the last bit of her senior year. Joe Hong, KPBS News. And now, Maya Madsen. She's the mastermind behind Maya's Cookies in Grantville. She tells us how two major events, COVID-19 and the killing of George Floyd, set her business on a path she could not have imagined. Once the pandemic hit and people were shopping from home and ordering online, we really started to see an increase in sales. After the horrific death of George Floyd, people wanted to support Black-owned businesses, and I started noticing the sales going up. And we went from about 20 to 50 sales a day online to the numbers were climbing into the hundreds. And we ended up having 10,000 orders in our queue. My emotions went from happy and excited to scared to nausea and not being able to eat to all of a sudden me saying, okay, I can do this. Let me put my big girl pants on and get this done. Well, just know that it's going for a good cause. (laughs) I am passionate about helping youth. We work with a local organization called Detour Fancy that empowers young women of color in underserved communities. 
Oh, it's so good. I know. When people talk about Maya's cookies, I want them to say, this is the best cookie I've ever had. It's delicious. I don't want them to say, this is the best vegan cookie I ever had. This is the best cookie. This story was produced by KPBS video journalist Roland Lizarondo. The nation's climate scientists say November's average temperatures were warmer than usual. KPBS's Eric Anderson says 2020 is nearly one of the hottest years on record. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration tracks global temperatures, and researchers say the trend of increasingly warmer temperatures is continuing. November the second warmest on record. NOAA climatologist Tahira Sanchez-Luco says the 10 warmest Novembers have all happened since 2004. This year's warm temperatures also put 2020 on the cusp of being one of the hottest years on record. It is very likely, very likely to be among the top three warmest years on record. So we do the same analysis for the year 2021. And we are, um, it is very likely for the year 2021 to also end among the 10 warmest years on record. Global temperatures have been rising steadily since the 1980s, and that's expected to continue. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Coming up, the big problem with mini pigs. I thought a mini pig was going to be something that was going to be like a teacup dog, something that was going to be smaller. Deceitful marketing terms have led to a crisis of overfilled piggy sanctuaries. That story's next, just after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. When you hear the words micro, mini, teacup, nano, or pixie, you wouldn't really think of pigs. Those are unrealistic marketing terms used to sell adorable mini piglets. The misrepresentation is a big problem for buyers who may end up with more than what they bargained for. KPBS's Maya Trabolsi reports. Come on. It's snack time for Brittany Whistle's two mini pot-bellied pigs. As she waits for a house call from the vet, she casts handfuls of oatmeal flakes onto the artificial turf so Alfie and Ozzy can do what pigs love to do, root for goodies. Looking at these pigs, you might not think the words micro, mini, nano, pixie, or even teacup are appropriate. While they may have fit into a teacup as piglets, those days are long gone. In 2012, Whistle fell for a big fat lie. I thought a mini pig was going to be something that was going to be like a teacup dog, something that was going to be smaller, that could fit in your lap, that you could hold all the time. Whistle found a breeder online and paid $2,500 for her first micro mini pig, Penelope. The breeder had her come at night and didn't allow access to see the parents. She had said that there was no lighting in her barn or the pigs were all sleeping. So there's just a couple of things. Things that are red flags now. She was given feeding instructions that, had she followed them, would have starved the young pig. To feed her tablespoons of feed. Tablespoons. <laughs> and to slowly increase it, but never by much. Underfeeding is a common strategy among unscrupulous breeders to keep pigs small. 
but they grow for at least three years. We were told that by a year of age, they would be 10 pounds, and by the time they were full grown, they would be no more than 20 to 30 pounds. By the time Penelope died of heart disease in 2019, she weighed 167 pounds. Whistle found others who had also unknowingly fallen for the micro-pig myth and believed social media had a hand to play. I think it really, really perpetuated the problem. You just see all these cute videos of these little piglets doing fun things in their homes, and now people are seeing, oh, pigs aren't barn animals. Pigs can live in homes. Exotic animal veterinarian Dr. Lindsay Rosen pulls up in her mobile clinic. All right, piggy time. It's our mobile x-ray unit. Because Ozzy came from the same breeder as Penelope and born to the same parents, x-rays make sure he doesn't have the same heart okay. condition that killed her. You're such a good boy. Dr. Rosen says while many pigs do exist, they're only many when compared to huge production pigs. She says some breeders are dishonest about what they're actually selling. I asked Dr. Rosen to comment on a breeder's website that charges up to $3,500 for breeder-quality micro-mini pigs it claims will be 20 to 30 pounds fully grown. They either are just blatantly lying and the pigs get a lot bigger, or they're telling people not to feed them, or the pigs have some horrible genetic problem. I mean, there's no way that is possible. Reputable breeders like Haley Coniglio take time to educate customers. Backyard breeders, essentially, are telling you their pigs are full-grown when, in fact, they are not. So the parents that you're looking at are actually going to double in size, and then you're going to wonder why your piglet ended up getting so big. Though mini pig marketing can be deceptive, it's not illegal. Pigs don't have the same protection under the law as traditional pets because the USDA classifies them as livestock swine, whether they're companions or food. Dottie Waddles! Good girl. The grass at Grayson Pig Acres has long been grazed by the rescued residents here. And I've got some here that are people have paid a thousand dollars for. Marty and Nancy Kuntz run this sanctuary in Ramona. When they get big, they don't want them anymore. They say all the other sanctuaries they know are maxed out like they are. Inundated with calls every week. Some of the people we don't even call back because we don't even know what to tell them because there's no other sanctuaries that has any room. There's just no control over the breeders and they just keep doing it to make a dollar because as soon as you buy that little baby and you drive off of their property, they don't want to see you again. Because they love red. The Kuntzes say pigs make great pets, but they ask that people visit, learn, then adopt so overfilled sanctuaries like theirs don't have to turn away pigs abandoned just for being pigs. That was KPBS's Maya Trabolsi. KPBS reached out to other breeders for this story, but received no response for comment. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.